Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Guys, I have, I have like one point today. Okay, like I know, it's going to be so short. It's one point, and you, you could probably just, you probably don't even need to write it down. You could probably just remember it. But um, I want to just, um, I'm going to jump around a little bit. Jamal has me on the topical thing, and I can't stand that. And so we're going to have to like, we're going to have to exchange some words. But your message last week was so powerful. It was so on point. And even though it wasn't exegetical, it was clearly anointed, which challenges everything that I've always believed. But I am going to just jump between a couple different scriptures today. And the real throw off is that I um, am in the New Living Translation. That's the real throw off. And uh, yeah, so I know, I know my Bible needs to be rebound. It's falling apart. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to take the plunge, repent for it later and just get a new living. And so my wife and I are back on speaking terms, which is great. Turn with me to Genesis chapter three. I know that's not funny for everybody in here, but it's funny for me. Genesis chapter 3, Jamal talked just briefly, kind of uh, touched on the hearing all the way back at the beginning um, when sin entered the world. And, and if you weren't here last week, go back and listen to the message. Phenomenal, phenomenal uh, sermon on just the difference between hearing and seeing and how faith uh, requires us to hear when we want to respond to what we see. And it was so powerful. And as I was in it, the Lord had kind of drawn me back around to something he had been poking at for a while anyway. And so I'm just, uh, I want to bring your attention to the real problem of sin. All right. So it's everybody's favorite subject. We are going to be talking about sin today. Um, but it's the real problem of sin. There are a lot of problems of sin, but there's one that's worse than all the rest of them. And so I, uh, I want to just bring your attention to this passage. And if you can, um, if you can, just read with me. And again, this is a different Bible. And I'm like, I want to look down and look right at the spot on the page. If anybody's had a Bible for a long time, you know how this goes. And so uh, not only is it not where I left it, but it's not written in the same words that I left it in. So uh, let's, just, let's, let's just try this, okay? So when the Lord shows up and he says, hey, uh, he's looking for Adam and Eve, and, and we see this line where Adam and Eve, uh, they go, they run, and they hide, and they cover themselves. And so um, why, don't we just, um, why don't we just go ahead and start reading here? Uh, in verse 8, says, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. This is after they uh, took the fruit and ate it. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And the man replied, it was the woman, uh, which that'll preach, you know what I'm saying? It was the woman you gave me, uh, and she gave the fruit, and I ate it. And the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied, and that's why I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, now I'm going to read through these next couple of verses and understand that God is, uh, he is 
going on a sort of like a monologue-ish rampage of the curse that sin has now brought into the world. The first address is to the serpent, and he says, because you have done this, you're cursed. More than all animals, domestic and wild, you will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and I will strike your head, and you will strike his heel." Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And he said to the man, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made, which was also part of the curse, right? For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. The original plan for man was that we would live forever. And so part of sin, uh, part of the effects of sin is mortality. But in verse 20, things start to get real. So then man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and Eve. Then the Lord God said, look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out, take fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden. And he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. Okay. So they sinned and then they hid. They heard God walking. In fact, that, that word translated, some of your Bibles say the cool of the day. And here uh, it says the breezes. That word is ruah. They hid from the spirit of God. They hid from the power and the presence and the proximity of the Spirit of God. But the very worst effect of sin was not the ground being cursed. It was not the enmity between men and women. It was not the pain of childbirth. All these were the byproducts of sin. It wasn't even mortality. The very worst effect of sin is found in verse 24, and it's that they were driven from the garden. The garden represented relationship. The garden represented proximity. And if you're writing things down and you need a title for the message today, it's sin and separation from God. The very worst effect of sin is separation from God. In fact, If we had to give a working definition of what sin is, it's separation from God. Most of us have seen some depiction of hell, whether it's Dante's Inferno, whether it's the cartoons the kids watch with the pitchfork and the, and the hooves and whatever else. And we see the demons and we see the throne and we see the fire and we hear, you know, what would it have been like? And we hear stories from people who've had visions and dreamt dreams and, and things that God has shown us. We pull passages in scriptures like Gehenna and a lake of fire and, and eternal destruction and worms and all these different crazy, terrible things. But I would challenge us this morning that there is no artist who could depict what it would be like to be separated eternally and permanently from the Father. But let me tell you, that is hell. 
That's hell. It's not, it's not that the devil's going to be there. It's that God's not going to be there. Okay? Adam could talk to God, as we see. We see it even with Cain and Abel on the scene. Adam could talk to God, but he wouldn't walk with God the way that he used to. The way that they used to walk together, unencumbered, unhindered, unrestricted, unrestrained by sin. Choosing sin doesn't prevent us from talking to God. It prevents us from walking with God. If you've ever talked to somebody in a mess and you get to that point in the conversation where you're like, oh, you know, I know the solution to your problem and it's Jesus or at some point, you know, the other shoe drops and you're like, oh, I'm actually a Christian witnessing to you right now. Uh, Surprise. And um, you know that when that happens, a lot of times people to sort of of keep the thing going, they're like, oh, like, you know, I'm a really religious person. Anybody heard anybody say that? I'm I'm a very religious person. And at that point, I'm kind of like, Okay, okay. And, uh, and, then, and then this line tends to come out really often. This line right here, it says this, I pray every day. Ever heard anybody say that? Or I pray all the time. I pray about everything. It's interesting how sin doesn't really keep us from talking to God. In fact, a lot of times the brokenness, a lot of times the chaos, the confusion, the dysfunction, all of the other orbiting side effects, they drive us to a prayer life. But for as long as we are actively choosing sin, we are actively choosing a separation from God. And so that's why, that's how these two things can be reconciled, that someone can say, oh, I talk to God all the time. I pray every day. I pray all the time. And yet, it still doesn't look like there's any proximity to the presence. It doesn't look like there's any, any fellowship, any intimacy. It's a long-distance call. So, the, 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 where I want to go from there, because it just sort of, um, there's a reason for this, but In the book of Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, if you're wrestling with this, well, does sin really separate me? I thought nothing could separate me, right? Well, Romans 8 says nothing can separate you from the the love of God. But I can love somebody on the other side of the world. And my presence doesn't have a lot to do with the mess they're in. I will love them there, and no one can take that away, right? I can love somebody on the moon. But usually we leave that part out. We just like to think nothing is separated from God. If you need cold, hard proof, there's a lot of it in Scripture, but probably the most sobering is in uh, Matthew's account of the crucifixion. When Jesus, taking the weight of the sin of the world on his own innocent shoulders to the cross that should have been every one of ours and not the one perfect guy who ever lived. But when he takes it in his last dying breath, he says this line in Aramaic. He says, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. And that word, we know it. You've heard it translated, right? 
God, oh God, why have you, how hast thou forsaken me? Sabachthani is Aramaic for, and I, I, there, if you get into research on this, there are all these people that really wrestle with like, well, this can't mean what it's translated as because it would mean that there's some sort of rift. If, of course, the father didn't forsake the son because that would mean that the Trinity was not in unity. And I'm like, stop thinking about this so deep and just understand the heart of the father. Sin separated Jesus from God. And I believe that even worse than the cross was the breaking of fellowship with the Father. I believe that it was this breaking of fellowship that had Jesus pleading for this cup to pass from him. He wasn't just losing his life. He was choosing separation. And for someone who understood these principles for someone who's, who's, who, who had formerly existed in heavenly places, on thrones, in heaven, for, for someone who understood what that was. You say, how can you sweat drops of blood? How can you pray that hard? Because maybe better than any of us, he understood what separation also meant. So yeah, you can translate it however you want. Some of your Bibles say, abandon me. But really, it's just real simple. It's left. I believe the, father, the Father's attention, the Father had to turn his gaze away because that is sin, separation from God. And we can get up here and we can preach about sin all we want and we can talk about how, well, you know, it's really not good for you, you know, 10 out of 10 pastors agree that sin is not good for you. And what we do, even here, we, we usually frame the negative impact of sin in the context of your life. After a year of talking about order and talking about family and talking about all this other stuff, and we're not done with that, by the way, but after a year of all this, what, what it brings us to is this place of understanding like sin isn't good for me. It results in disorder. It results in dysfunction. It results in, in the breaking down of, of my peace and my health and my, my life and my soul and my mind and everything else. But what's worse than all of that is to be separated from God, to be removed because of what we're actively choosing. Last place we're going to go. Turn with me to Romans. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. I probably have time to read this whole chapter because this message isn't very long, but... I'm afraid of stumbling over the words because it's in the New Living Translation. <laughs> so I'm not. But I, I, I want you to understand that when Jesus took sin on the cross and when he cries out, Father, how hast thou forsaken me, left me, abandoned me, he has taken the separation from us. 
and we read throughout the New Testament, we, we see little bits and bobs of things like this, like, like we have been given the spirit of reconciliation. Most of us have used that in some way, shape, or form in an effort to like reconcile with like someone that we're at odds with. But the real meat of that, we've been given a spirit of reconciliation so that we can be reconciled back to the Father. So that the effect of sin, the separation from God no longer has power over us and we can be restored back to him. Then we see really cool things like to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord Lord because while there are still markers in our flesh, while there are still the the echoes and residual side effects of, of, of sin and brokenness and that old nature in our flesh, once we leave this flesh, once this version of life is over, the best thing happens, and that is the fullness of his presence. To be absent from this is to be present. And, and that's what the emphasis on there is who we're present with and finally unhindered, unencumbered, finally fully with him, finally fully unseparated, if you will. And so Jesus brings this new covenant and the covenant is in and of itself, the whole idea of covenant, we think of covenant like, uh, what does it mean for us? But the whole picture of covenant is that it brings two things together, two things that had formerly been separated. It creates intimacy, it creates fellowship, it creates a bond and a unity and a oneness between two parties of which formerly there was none. So, Romans 6, sin's power is broken. And I love Paul just, you know, he says this a couple different places throughout this book and chapter, but he says, well, then should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Some of y'all are like, amen. Thank you for that grace. No, of course not, he says. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have we forgotten that when we were, watch this, joined with Christ Jesus, Joined with him instead of apart with. It's like the first place I'm highlighting in this Bible. And I'm like, oh, new Bible with the highlighter. I don't even feel so weird and wrong, but I'm doing it. I actually told Ashley, I'm halfway through this message. And, I, and I'm like, this feels so wrong. I feel like I'm cheating on my old Bible. <laughs> it's been really faithful to me. When in truth, that, that, that Bible was cheating on its original owner because it had, been, it had been mislabeled and sent back as a return to Christian book distributors. And it still says like Grace Church Children's Ministry or something on the bottom. You know what? It served us faithfully. Join with Christ Jesus in baptism, comma, we joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ. If you go through this chapter and you start to understand, start to look at just those joining words, just words like with or in or joined. And what we find out is the whole principle of sin losing its power is that separation is over. Separation no longer has uh, the, the legal right to bring division between you and God. For we died, in verse four, and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Verse five, here it goes again. Since we have been united with him in his death, we also will be raised to life 
as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. It's true. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. But choosing sin does separate us from his presence. And saints, I believe that for many of us today, as soon as we check the eternity box and we say, okay, well, I know that once I cross over, I'm going to go to heaven and I'm signed, sealed, delivered. I'm yours. And, And we feel really good about it. But there is the matter of this life. There is the matter of each day and each decision. There is the matter of the seasons and the highs and the lows and the ins and the outs and the everything else. And every single decision is an opportunity to choose whether or not we're going to submit to the Lord or submit to separation. If you jump down, he says, well, then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean, here we go again, should we go on sinning? Of course not. Why not? Why not? If I'm already forgiven and the blood was already shed and the cross was already good and it's 2,000 years later and, you know, I'm not the guinea pig here. Like, we know that people can do this, right? What about the thief on the cross? Like, I could technically sin until the day I die. And then, you know, and there's a lot of weird theories out there. Like, what if you die while you're sinning? Anybody heard that one? Come on. Come on, guys. You're better than that. Jesus is better than that. Jesus is like, no, hold on. We lost another one. (laughs) That is not how it works. The sin you haven't yet committed was already forgiven, so it doesn't matter if you die committing it. What matters is that he already died for it. Okay? But what that brings us to now, I know it's challenging some real fundamental New England theology there, but that's all right. See me after class. But what it, what it brings us to now, uh, see, I'm from the South, right? And uh, there's a lot of Southern Baptist people down there. And they're, they're all like, once you're saved, you're always saved. And there's nothing, you know, so everybody hangs on that. So it's like, doesn't matter. But what Paul says here is he says, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize, and this is very important, saints, you become the slave of whatever you obey. You become the slave of whatever you choose to obey. Are we on the same page? You're on the new living too? Man, I thought the computer would block it, but. <laughs> you, you are a slave to whatever you choose to obey. So if you are choosing to obey the lust of the flesh, the broken sinful desires of the wicked ways that, that have not yet been sanctified out of us. If we're choosing to obey that, then we still are a slave no matter how many times you sing, I'm no longer a slave to fear. Doesn't matter. What are you choosing to obey? And it is your choice. Don't you hate that? God, I wish I could just give that one up. I'm teaching a, a worship in the, 
Integration of Heaven and Earth for uh, School of the Spirit. And I just have a phenomenal class. And like we're in tears half the time. It's like we just spend most of the time in worship. Don't tell Pastor Kurt. Because um, there is still some, some academic value happening there too. But uh, we were talking about the angels and why our worship is different. And why God wants it, why it matters so much is because of that free will. So the, the problem is I, as, as much as, as often as I pray, God, just take this free will away. I don't want the choice anymore. I'm choosing to not have the choice. <laughs> and uh, it doesn't work like that because, and, and to be honest with you, should that, should that be an option, it would rob our worship of the power of redemption. It would rob our worship of the freedom of choice that we get to choose to obey him. He goes on and says, you can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteousness. And the very last verse of this chapter says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. Now, if I were talking to a room full of unsaved people, first of all, I probably wouldn't have made it this far because I don't even know how to talk to unsaved people. I'm just kidding. That's a joke. <laughs> but if I were, then, then what we flex right here is eternal life, right? What we flex right here, what, what we want to focus in on is you don't have to go to hell. You don't have to pay the wages of sin because Jesus paid them for you, Right? Amen? Anybody still excited about that? But, but what's crazy here, and this is where I started to get convicted. We still, he's not talking to the lost. This letter was written to the church in Rome. This letter was written to the church of New England who has already accepted who Jesus is. That's why they're the church. But the decisions that they're continuing to make put them back in bondage over and over and over again. And so their lives don't look much different, don't look much freer than the ones who are enslaved to the world. Because whoever you choose to obey, you're a slave to. The wages of sin is death. Is it possible that we choose death in certain areas of our lives because we're opting for the sin and accepting the separation. Wherever God isn't, there's a mess. So if there is a nook or a cranny, if there's a closet or a shelf, if there's a basement or a garage or an attic or an outbuilding, if there's a place in our lives where God isn't, well, God's everywhere. Remember that whole free will thing? Remember I stand at the door and knock? He's not kicking down those doors. He's not forcing himself into those places. He's allowing you to choose who your master will be. And when we choose anything but him, 
We're choosing separation from him. And separation from him equals hell. And if we're going to get real with ourselves and take hard inventory of what, what's going on in our lives, some of us would, would have to admit there's hell in my life somewhere. There's a place that does not reflect the peace of God. There, there's an issue. There's a, a matter. There's a, a problem. There's still bondage. And even though most of the week nobody sees it, there's one day or there's one evening or there's this three-hour window where I go back downstairs and chain myself to a pole because I am choosing slavery, choosing it, deciding for myself because its power over me has been broken. These, these passages are hard because it puts so much onus back on us. We like all the things that are too big for us to do in our own strength. But here's a newsflash. Jesus already did all that stuff. All the stuff that you needed him to do, that's why the work is finished. That's why he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's, he's in his Sabbath. His work is done. He's given you his spirit so that you can do supernatural things, things that require miraculous strength. But the ball is back in our court, saints. The wages of sin is death. Death in that one area, that one area where God isn't. Death in that, in that chapter or that appendix or that footnote that thing that you hope nobody reads, that, that, that thing that you hope nobody sees, that there's, there's a separation from God there and it will wreak havoc on your life. And God wants better for you than that. But if we're gonna take this out of that context of just eternity and talk about life, then we can take the next part too but the free gift of God is eternal life. That means that heaven can come in that place. Peace can come in that place. Healing can come in that place. Restoration and redemption and all those things that we don't even have to seek when we seek his kingdom because his kingdom is him. And where he is, none of those things can be. As soon as that separation is obliterated and God moves into that place, things start to shift. Things start to shift. They start to take shape. Broken things start to form pictures again, more beautiful than they were before they broke to begin with. Life. Life fills those places. And so this morning, don't stand up. Stay seated. But I want to ask, I want to ask if there's anybody in this room this morning and you'd say, Zach, there are things in my life that don't look like heaven. There are things in my home that do not reflect the peace 
that do not reflect the joy, that do not reflect all the, the, the bumper sticker words that they're supposed to with me being a Christian. And I had just resigned myself to it being a cliche. And well, maybe this is just the thorn in my side that I'm gonna live with. I'm not buying it. There's a choice to be made. Yes, sir. There's a choice to be made. And take note of the fact that sometimes heaven doesn't come and look like what we want it to look like. But there's a choice to be made. And so if you're in this room this morning and you'd say, Zach, there is something that feels like it's been held back. There is something that still feels like it's separated from him. If that's you, would you stand up? Decision, isn't it? It's a decision. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm not trying to sing a different song while you're singing that one. That's fine. It actually sounded kind of good. We could probably keep going. <laughs> Somebody in here is still a slave to fear for one reason because you're still choosing to obey it. Somebody in here is still a slave to depression because you're still choosing to obey it. Somebody in here and you're still seated, you're a slave to addiction because you're still choosing to obey it. Yeah. And you don't have to. That power is broken over you and the place in your life that still feels like hell. The place in your brain, the place in your family that still hurts like hell. What it needs is the presence of God. What it needs is fellowship restored. Is there anybody else this morning? craziest thing about human nature we do the exact opposite when it says that nothing can stay standing and it says nothing can separate us from the love of God but things can separate us from his presence see when when somebody offends us when somebody hurts us we do the exact opposite we don't separate in, in the sense of proximity, but we do withhold our love. So we'll still be in the presence. We'll still be like right there with somebody, but holding back our love. God does the opposite. And so what I'm here to tell you is that even that place, whatever that is, I don't need to know it. Nobody needs to know it. The Father knows it. You know it. That's why you're standing. But even that place that feels void of his presence, it is not void of his love. The Bible tells us that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, he loved us first. And that thing that's broken, 
that thing that's wounded, that thing that hurts like hell, that thing that has felt like a vacuum of joy and of peace and of everything that your Christian life says it should be, that place, it is not void of his love because he loves you. And so the choice is yours. We're gonna pray and as we do, saints, I wanna encourage you you can begin by welcoming him into that place. Because I think for a lot of us, we don't do that. We're like, fix it from a distance. It's too gross. Fix it from a distance. But that's not what the psalmist teaches us, right? We're going to begin by welcoming him in. And the most beautiful thing about what God does is when he shows up, there is a separation, but it's not from him. The psalmist says it, that he separates from us our sins as far as the east is from the west. And now we're gonna be separated from something else. We're gonna be separated from the very thing that formerly separated us from him. That thing's not going to be within arm's reach anymore. It can't be. Because if it is, you'll gravitate towards it. You've got to let the Lord ride off into the sunset with it. As far as the east is from the west. He's got to be able to take that thing. And you, brother, sister in Christ, me, Zach, we have to be able to walk in the discipline of choosing. Choose you this day whom you will serve choose you this day whom you will obey choose you this day who we're going to be enslaved to is it going to be sin or is it going to be righteousness so father i plead the blood of jesus christ over the minds and the hearts and the lives that are in this room god i thank you that on that dark day lord that our lord and savior took upon himself that separation that feeling of abandonment of having you leave him and turn your eyes away. I thank you, God, that in that moment, he took upon himself the separation. And so, Lord, today, whatever we've held back, whatever we've allowed to be separated, whatever, whatever we've been okay with not receiving your attention or whatever we've been so consumed with giving our attention that we, we never stop to think what, what you might have to say about the matter, if we would let you in, this morning we let you in. Yeah. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come into these areas, to bring conviction, to bring your righteousness to bring the restoration of fellowship. God, forgive us. Lord, we repent. Don't let me do it for you, saints. If you're standing in your heart, repent of that place, whatever that is. Maybe it's something in the past. Maybe it's an offense. Maybe it's something, something somebody's done to you and, you and you just, you can't let the Lord into that room because it hurts too bad. But this morning, he took it. He took it, saints. So this morning, we have to be able to allow him to come in and speak to those places. Father, we're not just settling now for a long-distance phone call with you. 
We're not settling, God, for, for, for some counterfeit version of healing that the world has to offer. God, we want nothing less than your presence in every square inch of our lives. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. All over this room. All over our lives. As it is in heaven. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.